0: Well, good morning, Christ Pacific Church. Welcome to worship. Uh, This has been really good so far uh, because God is present. The Holy Spirit is at work among you. And so I just want to join a couple of others who have already said uh, welcome. Glad that you are here. Uh, My name is Peter. If I haven't met you yet, I'm, I'm the lead pastor here. And so it's my pleasure to say good morning to you. And um, uh, after you go and uh, find Britt and introduce yourself to her, if you um, haven't already, then um, please introduce yourself to me if I haven't met. That would be uh, fantastic. Would love to uh, have a conversation with you over coffee after, um, after worship. Uh, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 7, and uh, I'm going to read the text for us this morning. Um, there's actually three... Healing stories that I'm going to read, and it's kind of long this morning. It's been long recently. Actually, it's always good to just listen to God's word, and so I'm going to invite you to do that um, as I read. So, Mark chapter seven, starting in verse 24. Uh, I'll read the uh, all of the rest of Mark chapter seven, and then we're going to skip over to chapter eight, verses 22, because uh, all these healing stories are connected. So, friends, um, listen. To God's word this morning. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile, Born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, First, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Then, spitting on his fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and he said, "Ephatha," which means be opened. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone. But the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. Uh, If that line sounds familiar, it's because it's from Isaiah 35, which Pastor Jericho read to us just a minute ago. Skipping on to chapter 8, verse 22. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked up. Yes, he said. I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, Don't go back into the village on your way home. Friends, this is God's word for us this morning, and it is so good. So Jesus had said to the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, he said this earlier in Mark chapter 7, which we read from last week. He said, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile? It is what comes out of a person that defiles, for it is from within, from the human heart that evil intentions come. This week, as we consider the stories I just read in the second half of Mark chapter 7, we're going to hear Jesus go one step further on the topic of defilement. He's going to declare clean those whom others would consider to be defiled. To put it another way, Jesus today is going to demonstrate that there are no outsiders to God's love. Let's pray, and then we'll consider Jesus' words. Jesus, thank you that you have spoken, and thank you that you continue to speak to us. And we pray for that very thing, that through the words you have spoken, through your word in the scriptures, that you would speak to us today. We trust that you have a word for us. That you are not a God who is silent, but that you are a God who speaks. For you are the word, spoken so clearly centuries ago. Would you speak clearly to us now? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> there's There's so much, right? There's just so much here. And... Um, I don't think I'm going to get to that third story. Uh, But I wanted to read it to you anyway because they're connected, all of these miracles, these healing events that uh, that Jesus did. They're all connected. Listen, speaking of no outsiders to God's love... Jesus, in these healing stories, he breaks through and breaks down all sorts of barriers. Social barriers, cultural barriers, religious barriers. And he does that to show the reach of God's love. That there are no outsiders to God's love. There are no barriers or boundaries through which or over which God's love won't go in order to reach you. Verse 24, then Jesus left Galilee, and he went north to the region of Tyre. Tyre is a Mediterranean beachside town. It's just north and a little bit west of the Sea of Galilee, and it was populated mostly with Gentiles, people who were not Jews. And um, I recently heard a fun spat between uh, an SC Trojan and a UCLA Bruin and uh, to say that these two people did not respect one another would be a one way of putting it, or at least their, uh, their educational heritage. And I got to thinking that, you know, maybe that's a little bit how Jews and Gentiles viewed one another. You know, sort of like looked down their noses at one another. To say there's a lack of respect between these groups of people would be, well, putting it lightly. But the point is this. The town of Tyre and um, the town of Sidon, which is right next to it, uh, those are code names, Tyre and Sidon. Those are like code names to uh, or for pagan land, right? So if you were a Jewish person in the first century and you heard someone talking about Tyre and Sidon, in your mind you would be thinking, all right, that is pagan land. That is the land of defilement, filled with pagans who are unholy, uncouth, and unworthy of respect. That's what would be going through your mind. And it strikes me that Jesus often goes to the places that other religious types would not go. And Jesus interacts with and here touches people whom other religious types just wouldn't interact with and certainly wouldn't touch. So Jesus gets to the town of Tyre. He settles into a guest house. Some people have speculated, you know, Jesus was maybe just looking for a break. He wanted some downtime. He went to the beach. He wanted to keep his location secret, but it was not going to happen. So a woman invades his privacy and asks for his help. Actually, she begs for his help. And she's described as a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia, Now, this is important because what this tells us is that her national and political identity put her at absolute odds with everything that a Jew in Israel stood for. Listen to how Ched Myers puts it. He wrote this wonderful uh, commentary on Mark's gospel called Binding the Strongman. He puts this in very strong words. He says, her solicitation is an affront to the honor status of Jesus. No woman, and especially a Gentile, unknown and unrelated to this Jew, Jesus, would have dared invade his privacy at home to seek a favor. And given the utterly shameful behavior and the pagan character of this woman, it is shocking that Jesus even addresses her. And Jesus does address her, although with some words that sound pretty upsetting, don't they? He says, first I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Ouch, Jesus. Why does he say that? And what does he mean when he says that? Well, Jesus refers to the Jews as children, as in God's children. They are part of the family. They are insiders, if you will. And Jesus calls this woman who was an outsider in every which way you would slice the pie. I mean, just everything about her was an outsider. And Jesus refers to her as a dog. Jewish writers would sometimes refer to Gentiles as dogs. Generally, in reference to uh, their behavior, their lifestyles, their vices, things that an upstanding and religious Jewish person would not be involved in. So, for example, Rabbi Eliezer wrote in the first or second century, we're not sure, somewhere in there. He writes, "Um, he who eats with an idolater, that is, um, you know, a pagan, a Gentile, he who eats with an idolater is like unto one who eats with a dog. Now, the dogs that are in mind here, when some Jewish writers would refer to Gentiles as dogs, um, are street dogs, dogs who live on a farm. But Jesus calls this woman a little puppy, as in a household pet. It's a different word in the original Greek. Jesus uses a different word. Now, let's not be confused about this. It's still not a compliment. But the woman, she, she picks up on Jesus' nuance, and I think she picks up on his nuance because she's desperate. Think about this woman. She's desperate to do anything for her child. Her child is not well, and she will do whatever it takes, just like you would do whatever it takes to seek healing and wholeness for her precious child. And so she says to Jesus, well, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs under the table, in other words, the household pets, even they are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. In other words, even they get fed. She's desperate. She'll take table scraps. She doesn't care. She's not interested in defending her honor. She is not afraid of doing anything shameful or being ashamed. She's just desperate to get any kind of help she can for her child, she will hang on a sliver of hope. And Jesus gives her a sliver of hope here. And what we see is this woman's persistency. The persistency that comes from a budding faith in Jesus to do what only Jesus can do, which is heal her child. Something in her tells her that Jesus can do something about her child, that he has the power, he has the ability, he has the desire to heal her child, and so she persists. And Jesus recognizes her persistence. He recognizes her faith. He says to her, good answer. In Matthew's version of this same miracle, Matthew puts these words in Jesus' mouth. Jesus says, woman, great is your faith. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing here. And he knew that her story would be told over and over again for the world to hear about her faith. So that the world would know that it's faith that Jesus cares about. Not gender, not your social status, not your religious background, not your ethnicity, nothing. None of that matters. What matters is whether or not you trust him. And Jesus knew that her story, interesting, she doesn't even get a name. This nameless woman is one of the most famous women in history. And Jesus knew what he was doing, and he wants this story of her faith to be held up high for all to see. Do you see this woman's faith? It's faith like this that can move a mountain. It's faith like this that moves the heart of Jesus. And you know, Jesus' encounter with her also signals that the gospel, the good news, is for Gentiles as well. Yes, Jesus came to the children of Israel as a Jew himself. But he came to become for Israel what Israel failed continually to become herself. That is a blessing to the nations, a blessing to the Gentiles. That is why Jesus came, to fulfill God's call to Israel, to be blessed in order to be a blessing. The gospel is for everybody. There are no outsiders when it comes to God's love through Jesus. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Galatians 3, verse 28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. No outsiders, there's no barriers, no boundaries over which and through which Jesus will not jump or leap or break through in order to demonstrate God's love. Well, this next episode, it takes us to uh, the region of the Ten Towns, or um, the Decapolis, stands for the Ten Cities, um, east of the Sea of Galilee. And just like the town of Tyre and Sidon, the Decapolis, or the Ten Towns, was largely populated by Gentiles. And while he's there, Jesus heals a deaf man who has a speech impediment. And I think that this story is recorded for us here in Mark's gospel, that this is here for us. It's here to show us how to minister to outsiders. In fact, just how to minister in general. I think Jesus is saying to us with this this episode, this event where he heals this a deaf man who has a speech impediment, Jesus is saying, watch me do this. Watch what I do and then follow in my footsteps. Do it like this. Follow me. Richard Hayes, New Testament scholar, he says this. He says, God's word is enough. It can do it alone. He's talking about healing power. Like God's word is enough to accomplish anything and everything, but He has chosen to minister through people who pray, people who are compassionate, and people who are willing to get their hands dirty. And that's what Jesus does in this episode. He prays. He gets his hands dirty. He demonstrates compassion. And I think this is Jesus saying, see, this is what I'm calling you also to do so that you also can demonstrate that there are no outsiders for God's love. Well, what happens next is super strange. I mean, let's just admit it. This has left scholars scratching their heads for many uh, generations. Um, Everybody is confused about this unless you're in middle school. Because what Jesus functionally does is gives this guy a wet willy. (laughs) And, you know, who would have known that all those wet willies you used to give, you don't do this anymore, do you? All those wet willies that you used to give, you were actually embodying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's what he did Uh, as well. But, you know, if we look really closely at Mark's description of this event, we can see there are four specific actions that Jesus takes. He looked to heaven. He breathed a deep sigh. He touched the man. Put his fingers in the guy's ears. And then he said, be open. So Jesus looks to heaven. In other words, he prays. Jesus breathes a deep sigh. He had compassion for this man. And then he touched the man. He was physically present with him. And he said, be opened. Jesus gave a gospel proclamation in the form of words. And I think that we too are called to minister through prayer, looking to heaven, in compassion with these deep sighs and groans as we connect with people and their suffering, with touch as we are physically present with others, and with a gospel proclamation as we use words to announce the goodness of God. so. I'm going to take a few minutes just to talk through these aspects of ministry that I think Jesus is showing us here. So first of all, prayer. Verse 34, Jesus says, uh, verse 34 says that Jesus uh, was looking up to heaven. You can miss this little detail. It's like Mark almost glosses over it. Just four words. The need to heal this man was thrust upon Jesus, and so he didn't He was in a position where it was like he didn't have time or an opportunity to say, you know what, I'm sorry, hang on, excuse me, I need to go pray for 20 or 30 minutes and then I'll get back to you. This need is thrust upon Jesus. And so he glances towards heaven. And I think that what is going on here is Jesus is drawing strength from his Father in heaven. He's having a conversation with his Father in heaven, I can imagine if there was like a thought bubble above Jesus' head, you know, like in comic strips, there was a thought bubble above Jesus' head in this moment, it would say something simple like, Father, help. That's it. Maybe uh, in addition, it would say, Father, to you all the credit. Help, Father, and to you be all the credit. It happened really quickly. And do you know that there's not actually a linear relationship between how how long you pray and how well God listens? (laughs) That longer is not necessarily better. Don't fall into that trap thinking that longer is better. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he taught them using 57 words. The Lord's Prayer, 57 words. I timed it this week, 22 seconds. But don't also fall into the more common trap of thinking that prayer is just this kind of perfunctory thing that we do. It doesn't actually perform any purpose or real function. It's just something you're supposed to check off the list. Here we see Jesus connect with his Father in heaven because his Father in heaven is who gives him strength and who gives him his mission. And so it is with you and me as we minister to outsiders, as we minister to anybody. If Jesus must pray, so also you and I must engage in prayer before and during when we minister. In Mark 9, which we're going to get to in a couple of weeks, we're going to read that the disciples, they uh, reported to Jesus their frustration at um, what they thought was ineffective ministry. It seemed like people's lives weren't being changed, and specifically, they could not help this one little boy who had an evil spirit. He was possessed by some kind of a demon. And Jesus said to his disciples, do you remember this? This kind can only come out through prayer. And I think that today, the darkness that we're dealing with is the kind of darkness that can only be overcome through prayer. Jesus prayed. We are to follow in his footsteps and pray as we minister. So first prayer. Secondly, compassion. Looking up to Jesus, uh, looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed, and he said um, a word that nobody can pronounce. Jesus sighed. Again, it's so short, you can miss it. But what was in this sigh? To sigh literally means to express oneself involuntarily in the face of an undesirable circumstance. Jesus sees this man and he sees his suffering and it's like he involuntarily expresses his frustration or sadness at this brokenness. Jesus has a gut reaction to the pain and misery that he's witnessing Just like when Jesus uh, sighed with a deep kind of grief when Mary and Martha reported to Jesus that their brother Lazarus, who was a really close friend to Jesus, that their brother Lazarus had died. We're told in John chapter 11, that's where that uh, episode is recorded, we're told that Jesus burst into tears. Usually our translations say Jesus wept, but um, that's not at all what the word means. It means he burst into tears tears his guts were wrenched at the sight of suffering at the sight of death and at the sight of those who were grieving because the world in which we live is a world in which there is death and suffering and jesus is not exempt from the human experience of suffering with and for others he's just like you and me in every way except for he's without sin that means when you suffer, when you're frustrated, when you feel deep pain, when you when your guts are wrenched because someone you love is suffering, Jesus has been there. He knows what that's like actually. Hebrews 4:15 puts it this way, we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tested just as we are, only he was without sin. So Jesus ministers with compassion out of the passion he has for this man, out of the passion he has for us. And we are to follow in his footsteps to minister with compassion, with a deep desire to understand and connect with others, especially those who are suffering, and to do so withholding judgment. To do so without contempt, but rather with a kind-hearted approach. Compassion. So with pray- in prayer, with compassion, and number three, with touch. Verse 33 says, Jesus led them away, the man, away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears, then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Jesus touched him. Again, something that very few others would have actually done. Jesus was physically present with this man. And we all know this. COVID was a huge reminder of this, right? We need to experience human touch. This is not just like an extra thing that is nice sometimes. Touch is this powerful expression of compassion and care. And of course, we have to take great care, we have to use touch appropriately, we have to be sensitive to those around us. But maybe touch is like it's like a really sharp kitchen knife. It's a wonderful tool that we have to use carefully and with respect so that people don't get hurt. Jesus touches this man. And I think he's doing this to show us that we are to follow in his footsteps. And we too can use the ministry of presence, the ministry of being physically present with others, touching, embracing, caring for. And number four, gospel proclamation, right? So Jesus prays, he ministers with compassion, he's physically present and touches and embraces this man. And number four, he offers a gospel proclamation. Jesus says to the man, it's too many H's in this word, right? It means be opened. And do you think when Jesus said this word, be opened, that he was only speaking to the man's ears and to the man's mouth? Or do you suppose that Jesus was speaking to the whole of the man? Be opened your mind. Be opened your heart. Be opened your whole life to receive the gift I have for you today. Are you open? Are you open to receive the gift? that Jesus has for you today. Maybe it's a gift of healing. Maybe it's the gift of his accompaniment, like his presence. Maybe it's the gift of forgiveness. Maybe it's the gift of removing a burden of guilt or shame that you've been carrying unnecessarily. Be open, Jesus proclaims. this one word proclamation, it's a proclamation of power. And you know what? Jesus' words always have power. And Jesus is showing us that we too are to proclaim his word. We too are to proclaim the good news. And the good news translated into this deaf man's life was the good news of openness, Be open your ears to hear the word of God. Be open your mouth to declare the goodness of God. Be open your heart to receive the goodness of God. Be open, and so Jesus proclaims to him. Be open. And so we've got to ask, what gospel word might the Lord be inviting me to proclaim in this person's context, this person who I'm ministering to and with? What gospel truth does she need to know? What gospel reality does he need to be awakened to? There's a couple pitfalls, I think, that I are worth pointing out when it comes to gospel proclamation. The first pitfall of gospel proclamation that we can fall into uh, is that we think it isn't really necessary to use words. We think to ourselves, my actions will speak loudly enough, so I don't need to use gospel words. But Jesus used gospel words? Were his actions not enough? I mean, couldn't Jesus have just healed this man without saying a word? Of course he could have but he does use words. And I think this is good guidance for us as we minister to those who especially don't know the gospel. So the first pitfall we can have is is the pitfall of thinking we don't need to use words at all. The second pitfall, of course, is thinking that words are all we need. This pitfall leads us to preach at people, but to do so unwilling to take the time to connect with them. This pitfall leads us to preach at people and to do so without compassion, without being present, without the willingness to get our hands dirty to actually help them. Cranfield is this British commentary. He writes so much good stuff. And uh, he observed that Jesus opened this man's ears before he loosed the man's tongue and cleared his speech. And Cranfield suggests that this is a reminder that it is only as the church hears the word of God that the church has anything worthwhile to say. And I might add that it is only when we hear the cries of those who are suffering, the cries of those who are broken, that we will have anything worthwhile to say to them. Jesus prayed. He demonstrated compassion. He touched the man. And then he spoke gospel truth to him. Be open. We're to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Let me finish with this. Richard Hayes says this, God's word is enough. I'm repeating myself here. God's word is enough. It can do it alone. But he's chosen to minister through people who pray, people who are compassionate, people who are willing to get their hands dirty. There are no outsiders to God's love. And the way God intends to make that known is through you. For you are called to pray for a world that God loves so much. You are called to demonstrate compassion for a world into which God sent his son. You are called to proclaim the gospel to a world in which the word became flesh and dwelled among it. You are called to follow in Jesus' footsteps and make God's love known, especially to those who don't know it yet. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this text in Mark chapter 7. We're so grateful that you enabled your disciple Mark to faithfully record many of the events that took place in your life. And we're particularly grateful for this, these miracles, these powerful episodes in which you touched the lives of this Syrophoenician woman, of this man in the Decapolis who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And we trust, God, that you are not just telling stories that we can be interested in, but that you are speaking to us, inviting us into your grand story and showing us the way So, Jesus, as as we receive your good news, as we come to terms with this beautiful reality that, that I am not an outsider to your love, would you empower us by your Spirit to declare and demonstrate that same love to people? Who are still outsiders, but that whom you long to gather in. Help us to be faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, visit us at